Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle, but he don't ever get rattled, he just goes to the sun goes down. And welcome to Food Chat. This is one of your hosts, Chef Jackson Lamb. And I'm doing this show because I've been in the food business all my life. I've been eating and drinking forever. Uh, But more importantly, I just retired from a 30-year stint of teaching foods and hospitality. And my co-host here is Greg Bloom. Greg. Oh, thanks, Jeff Jackson. Well, I've been in the food business all my life. I grew up on a farm producing food near uh, Brighton, Colorado. But also, after that, I have spent my career working in six USDA-inspected food plants in Colorado, so I know a little bit about the back of the house, like how food gets in the box. And you, Chef Jackson, you know after it comes out of the box, uh, like in the restaurant or in a catering operation, what to do with it after that. So we're a good team, I think. I think that's going to work out just fine. We're excited to have on our show today Anisha Mystery. And Anisha is going to talk to us today about Indian food. And uh, Anisha, why don't you just start telling our guests a little bit about you and your background? Hi. um, So my background in food started at the age of uh, 14. So I studied food and nutrition and science from school to college to university. Um, From there, I wrote for lots of publications, both in the UK and internationally. And I specialize in olive oils, chocolates and um, vinegars as well as wines but my interest in Indian food came when I was reading manuscripts from the 4th century to the 14th century on delights of Indian culture how it related to food aphrodisiacs and seasonality of food. Anisha I love that history behind that You know, um, as you heard in the intro, I just retired from teaching uh, in the School of Hospitality at Metropolitan State University here in Denver. But um, in teaching one of my Wine Fundamentals class, for every country we reviewed, we reviewed the culture and the cuisine as well. So so Indian food, uh, fascinating there. And I love how you did the research going back to the fourth century. So (laughs) let's go backwards for a second. With Indian food, I will say that I think in America, we don't have a lot of exposure to it and we don't get a lot of it. So why don't we start off by just talking about some of the uh, terms, some of the buzzwords that we use in Indian cuisine, popular names, so that as they come up in conversation later on, we'll know what we're talking about. (laughs) What buzzwords have you heard so far in the state? I can help you there. Well, let's see. What what kind of Indian terms do we hear? Well, like, we is, is tandoori, is, is that a... Yeah, is, tandoori is a commonly yeah. used word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shawarma, yeah. is that a... Uh, I, uh, guess, I guess we're going to leave it up to you, Anisha, to give us, like, a basic okay, vocab perfect. list, because we're... So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then, actually, the next question <laughs> fa- falls right into that, Anisha, and that would be, what are your favorite Indian foods? There you go. 
Um, and okay, we'll and do you like to prepare them? Do you like to go out and dine out? Um, so why don't you give us an overview there? That's where the terms are going to come out. Okay, so a lot of these popular terms are are massive. It, it's massive everywhere. It's 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 global. Um, tandoori is a great dish if you are if you want to start something small and easy to prepare. A tandoori is great for marinating, and you know you you chuck in your tandoori spice, you chuck in your yogurt. Um, you know you have garlic, chili. Um, and ginger, mix it all up. Some people like to put a bit of honey in for the for that little bit of sweetness because when you're char grilling it, it's nice to get that sweet, you know, that sweet caramelized char grilled edges around your chicken or your lamb or even your fish, and it's just so beautiful and it's so fragrant. Um, so that's you know, I think tandoori is amazing for any beginner cook because it's quite simple and not overwhelming. Um, I do love. A a buna. A buna is one of my favorites because it's it's got lots of onions and green peppers, and I love the chunky vegetables because a lot of people think that when you have Indian food, you need to massacre your vegetables. Not the case. You know, it's nice to have the bite and texture of of vegetables with your principal meat, fish or chicken, and then you got the sauce, and I think that's amazing. Um, another one I would say is buna, which is cooked with lentils, and it's flat chickpeas. Some people make it with a different type of lentil, but the flat chickpea that's broken in half adds more nutty texture, and it's it's really creamy, and you've got so much bite to it instead of instead of it being absolutely soupy and you know where everything is lost. I think it's nice texture of having something nutty. You know, your nice lamb, always better with lamb, I think, buna, because it tastes more wholesome. And those are my favorite dishes. But if I had to cook something myself, I would make, I would make a prawn curry because I love seafood. And I would cook a prawn curry with um, kaffir lime leaves and lots and lots of fresh coriander and fenugreek leaves and um, cooked with no garlic, cooked with ginger, chili and the standard spices like turmeric and um, chili powder and um, a bit of garam masala powder and let it cook. But my secret tip that I've done is I put a bit of port in my prawn curry because it just does wonders to the source. Very good. Um, so, so try that. Anisha, while, um, are, how about are there any dietary restrictions in Indian cuisine, such as we see in halal or in kosher cuisines? Not, not really. I know that a lot of people don't eat beef because, you know, cows are sacred. But the one thing I have found internationally is that you know how diets are changing now and people are allergic to dairy products or, or you know, um, wheat. It's really hard to go to a restaurant. Things are becoming better now, but it's really hard to go to a restaurant if you're a celiac because a lot of the spices are made in factories that contain wheat products. So when you go, and you know, because we use a lot of ground spices, a lot of it's contaminated, so you need to go to restaurants that showcase gluten-free 
curries because it's really difficult to find. And also gluten-free bread. You know, we have naan, we have chapatis, we have so many like varieties of different breads. But sadly, not enough for celiac. And I think that's such a shame because I feel like they're missing out on so much when it comes to Indian cuisine. Very good. And just to clarify for our listeners, um, those that suffer from, from celiac, they have a gluten intolerance uh, to absorbing that in their dietary system. Um, one of the other things that I love, Denisha, is you, start, you started off and then all of a sudden you rattled off all these spices. And I think that really yeah. is one of the keys to, to Indian cuisine. Um, chili yeah. powder, uh, curry, coriander, uh, turmeric, anything else uh, out there that you're seeing prominence in? Um, I think dried red chilies. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of Indian food is you have whole spices and ground spices. The whole spices is what you flavor your oil with before you chuck in, you know, before you add your ground spices and your ingredients. And the one thing I like is, but some people might think it's a faux pas. I add my, so traditionally you heat your oil up and add your ground spices like cinnamon sticks, cardamom, you know, cardamom pods, cloves, black peppercorns. But sometimes I find that if your oil is too hot and you add your whole spices, you can burn the spices and it kind of leaves a bitter taste to your curry. But what I prefer to do, and it's something that I've learned living here in Spain, is that why do that when you can infuse your oil with the ground spices? So before I make my curry, I let, you know, I, I leave my whole spices in the olive oil for about an hour and heat it together before I start cooking. So it's already, it's already infused its flavor. And then when you cook, you don't get that bitterness that sometimes happens when you, you know, cook a curry. You know, that is a great technique of starting off cold. You know, uh, in Italian cuisine, I'll make the uh, aglio e olio, which is basically it's oil and garlic. And I heat up the oil before I put the garlic in. But to bring those both up at the same time really does infuse a flavor. I can certainly see that. Very good. Anisha, I love Indian food, and um, I am too afraid to try it at home, so when I want to enjoy it, I go out to an Indian food restaurant, and I love Indian curry. In fact, I lived in Japan for two years. In, Jap in Japan, as a school kid going to high school, one of the most common things we were served in the cafeteria was curry. So I have a curry question for you. Um, do you make your curry from scratch, or... Do they have pretty good um, blocks, starter blocks? Like in Japan, you can go to a Japanese grocery store and you can buy a hot, mild, or super hot curry block and then melt it in your pan and add the other ingredients. Uh, do you use blocks, starter blocks, or do you use uh, from scratch? I use from scratch because um, my grandma taught me how to cook. So I watched and learned how to cook food from herself, by, her, um, by herself, but then... I know that nowadays you can get these starter blocks, so you get step by step. You know, so if you want to make um, a fish curry, you'll have the whole spices. You'll get this little pack, meal kit packs, and you'll get the whole spices. You'll get the ground spices and a step by step, which is super simple, five steps. And I think that really helps the beginner cook 
and there's loads, you know, you get these whole spices, but then also more companies are doing stirring sauces. So you add two tablespoons to your oil, chuck in your vegetables, and that's it. You let it cook, let it simmer, add a bit of water or vegetable stock, um, and, you know, add some tomatoes, and then there you are. So there are different types of meal kits or sauces or jars that help you cook at home with simple instructions on the back. And I think Indian food's come so far because before, about 15, 20 years ago, there wasn't as much. But now loads of companies are coming onto the market and selling so much more and adding a lot of comp- and adding a bit of competition to the market because I think it needs it because now people are more conscious of sustainability of where their spices are coming from as well. So you'll get some um, some customers that focus on you know green miles. So which you know which where are these spices come from? Which which producer is more ethically sourced and and the same with you know oil company you know um, the, the the jars that people have with the sources or with the spice kits. So there's so many things for so many different audiences out there now, which I think is fantastic. Excellent. You know, I want to say that with the few Indian restaurants I have seen and other ethnic restaurants, most of them are mom and pop shops. They're just, they're small independent stores that are just you know, working the, the trade that they've learned. Um, so, unlike a steak chain or a burger chain, and again, you're on the other side of the, uh, of the world here, do you see Indian food chains in Europe? Curiously, I live in Spain. So, Spain is very regional and it loves its regional food. It's a bit like Italy, you know. Um, I know that Domino's pizza didn't make it out there because, you know, Italy is famous for its beautiful regional food. So similarly, in Spain, there's only one Indian restaurant in my city that I live in. But if I go, and it's it's from a, you know, a husband and wife duo, and I've been there and it's okay, but I think I have high expectations because I'm from the UK and being of South Asian origins, I've, I know what food should taste like. And bearing in mind, the restaurant here is catered to the Spanish palate, which means it's not spicy or it has, the flavors are more subtle, where sometimes I'm expecting that that kick, you know, for a certain dish. But if you go to Barcelona or if you go to Madrid, you will get the chains out there because it's more of an international food scene and you'll get, you know, it's like a melting pot like London. You'll get cultures from all over the world living there, which adds that, you know, I want to have an Indian and I will get a good Indian because there will be Indians from India living there thinking, I've got to make sure that the food is great. So bigger cities will have it, smaller cities, not so much. Anisha, this is Greg again, and I wanted to ask you about the the regional aspect of Indian food. Um, Here in Colorado, we have a local entrepreneur from uh, Mexico that's opened up a chain of very successful uh, restaurants that feature the five regional cuisines of Mexico. So for India, how would you say it's broken down? How many regional cuisines are there? Are there 30? I mean, that's a big country, right? And it's pretty (laughs) north to south. So just maybe you could explain a little bit about the regionality of of the foods. Yeah, 100%. Um, 
I don't know where to begin because India is such a big country. Um, the South, oh gosh, the South is famous for these, um, you know, these this dishes called idlis or dosa. So idlis like little mini, you know, like little mini pancakes, but made with rice flour. Oh yeah, I've seen them. Right. And then you, you serve it with like a um, lentil, like a really thin lentil soup. And then you serve it with coriander and garlic, um, sort of like chutney. And then, you know, also the South is famous for fish, lots of seafood, like lobster, crab, prawns, fish, and it's fantastic for that. Um, and then you go to Gujarat, which is a, a, another region where I'm from, where my family are from, and it's fantastic in vegetarian food um so lots of curries with lots of sort of um i don't know how what they would be in english like indian ivory gourd like green they look like mini um runner beans you know like green beans a bunch of green beans so we have an abundance of vegetarian food and then in the north you get more heavy based dishes but how i would break india down because every region is so specific in its food um, I would break it down to, um, you know, you've got India. So if you go to Bangladesh, they are famous for their seafood because they live close to the Bay of Bengal. Their seafood is fantastic and they cook a lot with mustard seeds. And that's what makes the way they cook their fish and prawns and any type of seafood fantastic. And then you've got Pakistan, which is amazing for meat. Their biryanis, their meat curries, their dried tandoori chops are to die for. And then you got in, and then you have India, which is famous for but more vegetarian food and a little seafood around the coastal areas. And we cook a lot more with um, like curry leaves, which is similar to kaffir lime leaves, more fresh, fragrant herbs because we have more vegetables. And you don't want to overpower your vegetables with heavy spices; so it's a lot lighter. So I'd break it down like that. And a lot of coconut milk is used as well in the south, as well as um, in the Madras region, going towards the tip of India. Thank you. That's a great rundown. And when you, uh, how often do they grow in their little backyard any of their own vegetables or herbs? Like here in Colorado, a lot of people grow in containers or in very small space their own herbs and lettuce and tomatoes. How about is that is that so common over there? It is. A lot of people that I know have their own, um, like, allotments. So people grow their own aubergines. Because the one thing I miss living in Spain is, in India, we have about 30 different varieties of aubergine. And over here, it's eggplant. So, um, so, so yeah, it's, a, it's eggplant in American. But um, in Spain, I get one type, the standard eggplant. And I struggle so much because there's so many things you can do with it. But in India... You know, everyone grows their own like their own herbs, their own chilies, their own vegetables, and honestly, it tastes so much nicer. You can taste the sweetness in the vegetables. Um, and where I'm from, uh, we had our own sugarcane field, so we used to get it ground by two stones, get the juice, and add a squeeze of lime, and it was just so refreshing in the heat. Um, so that's what I've grown up with, a lot of people cooking their own and growing their own food, which just tastes delicious. Because you notice the sweetness, and it's not traveled far, so you don't lose the nutrition and the taste 
which I think makes it even better. Very good, Anisha. Hey, Chef Jackson, coming back to you. Um, you know, we were mentioning when we were talking about tandoori, um, I'd like to know more about proteins. You had said, well, we really don't, uh, there's not a lot of beef consumption, but the next thing you mentioned was lamb. And, you know, we live in beef country here in Colorado, and so we don't see a, la a lot of lamb consumption at all. But um, I would imagine lamb is a big part of your cuisine. Uh, is pork also a part of that? I eat a lot of pork. I think the issue is that in India, you don't get a lot of pigs, and the pigs you do see are like wild bulls that roam the streets. So they're seen as dirty, <laughs> Because not many people have farms that, you know, breed pigs. Yes. So a lot of people don't eat it. And so they have more chicken and a bit more lamb because there's more people that, you know, have them on their farms. Um, whereas in Spain, I do, because I live in the south of, you know, south of Spain and Andalusia, Iberian pork is you know a very popular source of protein here and i always use that instead of um i mix it up when lamb is in season which is like end of winter beginning of spring i use lamb but could be, but because iberian pork is all you know popular all year round i try and cook with that a lot more because also it's been fed on acorns so when i make a tandoori or a dried oven dish it's just the, the flavor is just so beautiful and the meat's really tender and i i enjoy cooking with that a lot very good you know i agree with your assessment of the pork where unless it's a controlled environment it's a very difficult product to produce and we see that with dietary restrictions in other cuisines so very good all right back to you greg anisha i was reading online i don't remember if it was on your website or somewhere else but just about Indian fusion foods. So, you know, like, for example, here in the States, Tex-Mex is very popular, and then Asian fusion, that's a big deal, all kinds of Asian-influenced meals that uh, have become a kind of American-Asianized. What about over there? Is there Indian fusion food in, in Spain and in the EU? In Spain, not so much, but in the UK, um, 100%, there is a dish, well, there's a, a, a theme sort of called Indo-Chinese. So it's Indian and Chinese. And I think it originated from the region of Hakka in China. And we have these dishes which are like Manchurian dumplings. So it's like minced cauliflower with soy and chili and garlic paste, but the Chinese version, so it's a bit more lemony and acidic. And then you've got um, sesame oil. And then it's, you know, it's, it's deep fried, with, you know, the ground cauliflower or cabbage is deep fried. There's a bit of flour and it's really crispy and you've got spring onions. So it's like a dried, it's like the concept of a dry noodle dish, but made with, you know, minced balls of cabbage or cauliflower. And another one that's my favorite is called hacker noodles. And it's normal egg noodles, again, with the whole Asian ingredients of soy and chili and garlic and a bit of uh, rice wine vinegar and a bit of tomato ketchup. I know it's a bit sinful, but it's the sweetness of the ketchup works really well. And it works amazing. And in the UK, Indo-Chinese has become super, super popular. 
and it's just it's it's, it's a fantastic combination of mixing two cultures together fantastic anisha you know one of the i love the fact that we're really um deconstructing the cuisine um how about starches um I would imagine rice is prominent. Are there? Do we see potatoes? Do we see pasta? Uh, what are some of those starches that we are going to see in Asian cuisine? So uh, pasta would come with the Indo-Chinese aspect, so with noodles, you know, um, because we don't actually eat a lot of noodle-based dishes. But in recent years, we have been cooking a lot more with rice starch, so like vermicelli-type noodles. So we have the deep-fried and then you have it with spices and, you know, with, with meats and vegetables. So the meat and vegetables are mainly dry and it's crispy. So it adds a lot of texture to your dish. Um, rice is a prominent, a, a prominent staple in an Indian household. So you'll have, you know, your vegetarian option, your meat option, your salads, your pickles, your poppadoms and your rice. So you'll have like a, a tally plate, it's called. So you have a big plate with little compartments where you get to mix and match. And, you know, you'll have your breads as well. And it's a complete meal in many Asian households. So you'll never have just one curry on the table. You will have two or three. And it's a standard, which will always be finished with rice. Very good. And, um, potatoes? Yeah, absolutely. We also use potatoes in all of our dishes, majority of our dishes. So any sort of meat curry with a sauce will have, will have big chunks of potato in. And then we always have uh, potatoes with chickpea. So chickpea curry and potatoes go really well. And that's called like a chana, it's called chana masala. So it's got really dry, it's got sweet or spices. And then when you cook it with the potatoes and the chickpeas, it's like key caramelly flavor, which I love. And then also a lot of our starters have potatoes in. So, you know, um, we have a lot of, I don't know if you know a lot about our little snacks. There's a lot of dry snacks that you have. A lot of people enjoy it with a bit of, you know, with a drink. So you'll have like deep fried rice, rice puff, um, and you'll, they'll make little, you know, when you, um, they'll make a paste with chickpea flour and then they put it in a machine that, that kind of grinds it into thin shreds and then it's deep fried in oil. So it's really dry and crispy. And then do like a massive mix of that. Add some peanuts and cashews and some raisins. And then they add lemon, chili powder and sugar to the mix. And it, it becomes like a Bombay mix. And you add that and then you add it to boiled potatoes. And then you will add like a tamarind sauce and a chili sauce. Mix it all up. And a lot of potato adds a staple to these sort of snacks that you would get in Indian sweet stores. Or wow. savory stores where they have a mix of sweet and savory foods. That sounds lovely. Uh, Nish, thank you for explaining that. We are going to uh, have to wrap this show up. I'm sorry we're out of time already. Uh, and we'll have you back on. This was like the introduction episode of Food Chat to Indian Foods, and then we'll have a deeper dive later. Uh, Anisha, <laughs> tell our listeners, you have your own podcast. Just uh, maybe take a few seconds as we wind up the show and tell people how they can find more about you. Yeah, no, of course. My podcast is called the Naughty Bites podcast. And on this, I deep dive with Michelin chefs around the world. And we talk about sustainability and food, 
their naughty pleasures and interesting topics that they're working on at the moment. So you can find that on all major podcast platforms. Great. Thank you, Anisha. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you, Anisha. And uh, best, best of luck in Spain. Thank you. Have a great night, guys. You too. Good thank morning. you. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Today's episode of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com has the best selection of beef, bison, wagyu, air-chilled chicken, turkey, and duroc pork, and more, all sourced from the family farms and ultra-clean USDA plants that they know personally. Take the mystery out of where your meat comes from and how the animals were cared for and buy your family's meats at RanchFreshMeats.com. Hey, save 10% on your first order by using Food Chat at checkout. Orders over $200 include free shipping. RanchFreshMeats.com.